I hate this job. I hate this job. I don't even have to come into the office. I can do this job from home. I need this place like I need a shotgun blast. Hey, you. You're cool. Fuck you, I'm out. Everybody, welcome back to My Stupid Job Podcast. My guest today is Sandy Danto. Sandy, thanks so much for uh, being here. It sounded like I said Santy, uh, but I, it didn't. Have That's okay. Name. That's what my little sisters called me growing up. Santy, Santa. There's, you know, no one gets my name right on a consistent basis, and I'm okay with that. I've learned to live with it. I saw a tweet the other day that was like, it must be... Uh, hard being like a grandpa and it's like some little kid mispronounces your name once and then you're just peep peep on for the rest of your life yeah. <laughs> <Instead> of, <laughs> that's what i don't understand my uncle wanted to be called grandmaster pa no kid can say no that. kid can say that you just have you have to come up with the easiest sounding thing like i'm just gonna be like beep just call me beep well, it doesn't. The point is, is it doesn't matter what you want to be called. They're gonna butcher it, and then that right. That's it is. what they call you. I have a that's so a, much cuter anyway. A niece or cousin who want, her grand grandma wanted to be called Grana because it was like a bougie mm-hmm. thing on a show, and she couldn't say it. So she said she was trying to say Grana, and it came out Gaga. And so now she's twenty six, and she still calls this old lady Gaga. And this was before Lady Gaga, but it just sounds so stupid. But that's just how it is. So you have no control over what kids are gonna call you. It's gonna be something different, but. I uh, was really excited to have you on as a, as a guest today, uh, for people who don't know, and they should. Uh, Sandy, you are a very hilarious stand-up comedian, um, host of a very funny podcast, Mepper's Podcast. Yes, you've been a guest. I have. It was a great time. And Check that episode out if you're listening to this and you're a fan of it. I'm linking it in the bio. Don't even worry about it. But I was excited to have you Nothing on. Nothing like a good Lincoln bio. Oh, God. They make, they That's make what I'm naming so my son. Wet. Lincoln bio. Bio. Danto. Um... You, uh, unlike the rest of my guests, you are you are making a living as a stand-up comedian. You have made it. You're past that. Uh, I wouldn't say I've made it. Well, I, it, there's different degrees of making it, but sure. you, your job, if you were to tell people what you do for a living, is comedian. Yes. And Slash stay-at-home dad, but mostly comedian. Mostly comedian. And I'm a pretty bad stay-at-home dad. Uh, but... But a lot of my guests are, they're on their way to pursue a career in comedy and they still have to have a soul-sucking, mind-numbing, dead, crappy, pay-the-bills day job that they, they do to get their bills paid. And uh, the, Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about that. Um, but, you know, you, you are at a level where a lot of people would like to be and uh, I think that, that's great. But yeah, you're, you're right. We're interested in, in what you had to do before that because it probably wasn't always the case, right? You probably had to have some crap along the way. Well, I have had plenty of crap. Plenty of soul-sucking, just the worst, not looking forward to going kind of jobs. But I've had some pretty fun ones and it's weird, man. When I was a kid, I was a very responsible employee, good employee, hard worker, good work ethic. But then I moved out here. My first job as an adult, my first and only office job, what brought me to Los Angeles was a job in comedy. Yeah. I worked at National Lampoon. Oh, okay. I remember them as a company. They they went under, right? They were like... They're still around. They bounced around like the the... Rights to the company has that's what it bounced was. around. Didn't the dad go to prison or something? Like so, that? when I started working there, I got hired by a CEO, great guy actually, Dan Lakin, who wound up in prison. 
for doing something that this was right before or maybe right as the economy was crashing. He was doing something that a lot of corporations were doing. He was artificially hiking up the stock prices. Yeah. So it made it look like the company was doing well. So people would buy stock, but it was, he was doing it fraudulently. It's called securities fraud and he got caught. And then his successor, his silent partner took over as CEO and he was indicted for a Ponzi scheme. That's what, that's what it was. Um, and he was on an, an episode of MSN Greed or, or something, MSNBC Greed. That's crazy. Um, and I remember when I, I think we moved here around the same time. What year, what year did you get to LA? 2006. Uh, it was 2007. And there was, I remember uh, very vividly seeing a building that was like the National Lampoon. Yeah, Sports. right on Sunset. Sunset. That's like the epicenter of my LA existence because right down the street is the comedy store on the opposite side, the Laugh Factory. And I would just every single day from the first day I got to LA go to the National Lampoon building. And then as time went on, National Lampoon, walk over to the comedy store, just be on that stretch of sunset all day, every day. It all worked very, very What did you do for National Lampoon's? What was your job? I started out as an intern, but once I arrived and they noticed I looked like John Belushi, I became the de facto mascot and they hired me to a staff position being an assistant to the president and I was terrible at that job. So somewhere along the lines, from being in high school and college and having a good work ethic, I, as an adult, just didn't know what I was doing. And I wasn't meant to do administrative work. I'm not organized in my own life. I'm not, um, I, I don't remember which is right brain or, or left brain, but it's I'm the, whichever one the isn't the organized, yes. Yeah. I'm not a numbers and I'm not a, I'm not a linear thinker. I'm an abstract thinker. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I think, think that's the left brain. I, I'm left brain, yeah. Because you're probably right-handed. Are you right-handed? Yes. I remember, I, that's how I remembered it, that it was the opposite of what my hand was. I was like, okay. oh, I'm, I'm right-handed, so it should mean I'm right brain, but it's not. It's the yeah. other way around. Okay, so. I'm the same, by the way. I, I just was a bad assistant. I'm not a good assistant. I can't keep my own life together. I did a better job of trying to keep someone else's, but there was a point at which... And, and my boss loved me, he, but he just got sick of me messing things up. He's like, look, we both know that this is not for you and you belong here. So they just moved me into the creative department just as a nebulous position in the creative department. And my first real task there was to um, write and direct a closed circuit television show for college campuses. So it was edited and taped, and the tapes were sent out to be broadcast over the college TV stations starring Cato Kalin and Jade Cataprata. They were the hosts, and it was like a green screen clip show. Like, we would show our own content and found videos. This is from the early days of YouTube and, and a bunch of other video sites. So we would just find sketches or you know, like found footage and things like that. And I would write host raps and little gags for them to do. And I would direct them. That was a job title that was really, 
you heard it a lot more when I moved out here. It was called creative executive, and it didn't really mean anything. It's kind of like what you just described. It was like, hey, if we need to consult with you about something that could right. be funny or could be, will you read this script and give some? It just it did it meant everything and nothing all at the same time, mm-hmm. and that is not a job anymore. No, no, no. one is walking around being like, giving cards up. Creative executive, no, no, no. it just my card just said people got fired. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I remember the bubble burst when I got laid off shortly before everyone else at the company got laid off because it just kind of didn't exist. It, I mean, it was still, National Lampoon's still around. It's just changed hands and been dormant in, in different ways over the years. But um, I remember, you know, the company obviously had its demise for very specific reasons aside from what else was going on mm-hmm. in the industry. But at the time... The web video, it was, we were monetizing it. We were, there was other shady stuff going on in the company. Otherwise, we had a model. We were, we had ad buys to fund our videos. So the other thing I did is I did a lot of just viral content, uh, sketches, web series. I had a web series in 2007 called Fat Guy Nation. Most people did it at that time. This is like, you would, you would have been one of the first ones. Yeah, yeah. And, and we would like, like our first video was, um, called Girler Food, and we teamed up with Penthouse and the Penthouse Pet of the Year, and we took her around outside like McDonald's, In-N-Out, Pink's, and we're like, hey, what would you rather have, the food you just bought or a lap dance from the Penthouse Pet of the Year? And our theory was that like the skinny guys would take the lap dance and the fat guys would take the food, but it was the opposite. The, how often did, any, did someone pick food? All the skinny guys pick food because they're just like, fuck this, I've got enough confidence to go and get a chick by myself. The fat guys were like, I can go buy more food. Yeah, so it was the meal that they already had? Like, would you eat that again? Or, or like, am I taking this food away from you? You just got food. You're walking away to go eat, eat your that food, food. Okay. And we're stopping you and offering you a lap dance in exchange, in for, exchange that. for that. Okay. That's a good, that's a good uh, bit. Because me and my friend, and this is very outdated now with our attitudes about objectifying women, and I'm not proud of it, but me and my friend in college used to play this game, Girl or Food, and we, it was a high school friend of mine, and it would, it's like, you know when you reminisce about high school, it's like funny, sure. just, just in general, just certain names strike a chord as funny, so we would play Girl or Food about girls from our high school and be like, filet mignon or... Uh, Jenny Boyman, you know, like, like, would you rather have like an amazing meal or the hottest girl? Or it'd be like, um, go McDonald's boy. French fries from the <laughs> floor of your car or like the, and a hotter girl. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah super yeah. hot girl. And yeah. then, and obviously the fries. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. Uh, but around that time, all these other companies that were our competitors, if you want to call them that, like they were production houses just for YouTube videos and, and their own websites content well that's about when funnier die funnier die super deluxe college humor right the chive those guys were doing uh they were they were all had kind of a similar business model at the time yeah but they all started to fold around the time i got laid off which was what what year 2008 9 okay but you you didn't get like fired fired you no i got laid off because the company was going under have you ever been fired from a job like fine Which which job was that? Um, I got fired on my second day of working in a vegan kitchen. Out here? Yeah. 
<laughs> Where else does a vegan kitchen exist? I well, like, I, I didn't know if we were going back to the all-encompassing. You said your first job in LA was that, but I didn't know. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of stupid jobs, but that I mean, I've been fired from. Been late. I got laid off from Lampoon. I got fired from that vegan kitchen just because the girl didn't like my vibe. Um, I'm trying to think of where else I've been fired from. So well, it's that many, huh? Yeah, I feel like. Um, do you? Did they tell you a specific thing at the vegan place? It's hard to just fire somebody in California. She told me I didn't wash kale fast enough for her. Hmm. Did you get a warning? Did you get a no? Okay. No warning. My second day. I feel like we. If half hour into the day, had you known me at the time, I could go back and be like, "Hey, they're not allowed to fire you for that." They got <laughs> No, I knew they weren't, but I didn't want to work there. <laughs> and that's okay. I mean, like, some some places have that, uh, like a no questions asked kind of like a grace period. Like, hey, we can fire you without um, cause in a certain amount of time. But after that, it's pretty hard to fire someone. Like, you have to have a paper trail of like, I warned you. Um, you didn't do it another time and I had to write that down and then we had to have a conversation about it. It's not as easy as you think. And it has to all be for the same offense. You can't like, I can't be like, oh, you're late this day. Let's strike one for that. But also you didn't wash the kale. Uh, that's a, that's a strike one in that column, but it's gotta be three kales or three lates. You can't, you came in with a kale stalk sticking out of your butthole. That's a strike. But you gotta do that three more times before I can fire you. <laughs> that's good to know. Yeah. The next time I look at a vegan kitchen. Do you think that... You would you'll ever have a regular job ever again now that comedy is the thing. No. well um I don't know you know I don't think so I don't ima- I could never imagine it I oftentimes think about what I could even do what I would be willing to do um, the only things I could think of that I would find um, gratifying to do is like if I went back to school and became a therapist or you'd be a great therapist I think or maybe like if I pit thank you yeah thank you you're, you're easy to talk to That's yeah you gotta you gotta think about what your strengths are and people open up to me so I think I'd be but then I thought about it I was like I gotta go an hour at a time without looking at my phone and just listening and I know I could do that and I'm just joking because well, like, you see that they, they bill it I'm like, also not joking they bill it like you know, two, two fifty, five hundred dollars an hour on the right. low end, on the low, right. low end. And a lot of, if you know that those dollar signs exist in your head, probably, and someone's like goes down the path of telling a story and all you have to do to keep that story going is just say, and how did that make you feel? Yeah. And then, and you're like, then now they're talking for 40 more minutes and you're just like, come on. Right. A lot of times when I go to therapy, my therapist doesn't talk. He just listens. And I... I did, it's like 90, uh, when I went, it was like 99% on me, and then hers mm-hmm. were just like little follow-up questions yeah. to get me to continue telling more about that story. Right, and then they say a little thing at the end, and you leave. Can you see the clock in your therapist's office? Yes. My, I couldn't. It was behind me on the couch, and so she would just, she would be looking at, right at me, and then look over my shoulder, and be like, and time is up. Um, we're going to have to talk more about this next week. I'm like, God, this is such a good gig. I had that same thought of like, God, what, what an awesome job. Being a therapist, <laughs> yeah, you just listen. Yeah, I'm pretty good at it. I think I could do that. I would work for an NBA team. Which one? Um, for, I mean the Lakers or the Clippers. But you know, because I, I also think like, what, what if I had to move back to Michigan because like a family member gets sick? I'm, you know, my mind goes to weird places, but it's 
What's good to be to have the? But I'm like, what could I even do if I had to move back there? I mean, I I could still do what I do and just travel, um, and not be in the the thick of it here. I wouldn't want that, but I would work for the Detroit Pistons or, or or like, I wouldn't even work for another professional sports team. Just basketball, just basketball. Um. Well, you and I both have a similar situation where uh, our wives uh, have great jobs, and mm-hmm. I think both both of them could do their job in, in any city. Yep. And so, kind of the thing tying us to Los Angeles is is our strengths uh, and and the things that we. I, I have that same thought all the time. Like, if my wife got a job offer to to make a triple what she's making now, but in a city that I couldn't, I don't know what I would do there. Well, if she's making triple what she's making now, you wouldn't have to do it. And I know, and I know, but like... But you want to do something. And she wants me to do something, too, and she wants it to be... She She's like, I, at, at what cost is your sanity? You know, like, yeah, sure, we're, ma- we're making a ton of money. We've got a house, but like, you, the house is in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> like, and I can't do anything there. Like, I don't know. Um, so I think at that point, you just say, fucking become a farmer. Yeah. I'm, or start I, a comedy club. Sure. I mean... I, there could there there would be a way that you could go like sniff out whatever open mic scene exists in right. some little bullshit city, uh, but eventually it all roads would lead back to Los Angeles. So you would even if you did you start comedy here? I started doing stand up here and obviously sketch by way of the internet. Yeah, but I started doing improv and sketch in college at Indiana University and at the second city that no longer exists in Detroit. Do you ever hear people say that you shouldn't start doing comedy in Los Angeles? Yeah, and I wish that I had started stand-up elsewhere. Yeah, same, but this is where I live, so I'm not going to move to some shitty city. No, but there are scenes around Los Angeles where you can develop with no stakes. It's, It's a big pain in the ass, and it may be more trouble than it's worth, but there's a lot of comedy going on in Orange County and the Ontario player yeah. and um, Ventura where you could be on the periphery and still live in Los Angeles and do your thing and develop void of I think I got seen by important people before I was ready to be seen and it hurt me yeah I've, I've heard that as advice uh, so many times like don't and I see people who go to the comedy store or the improv and they get on stage and they're like, this is my first time doing an open mic. I'm like, well then why are you doing it here? Like this is actually where people do, do like their polished stuff. I remember thinking I'm going to go in the valley and suck a bunch. Yeah. Even the valley where the, it's like very low stakes. Mm-hmm. And if, if I do eat shit, at least I didn't ruin my chance of ever performing at the comedy store or whatever. And then when I felt like I was good enough, then came over and, and went to the improv and the Laugh Factory. It was different when I started. Even if you go to the Valley or the South Bay, those are still different comedy scenes than the store, the improv, the Laugh Factory, UCB. You know, Flappers and, and the Haha are great comedy clubs. And they're even better for people starting out. Yeah. It, but I, I would even say Haha Cafe is exclusively a you're just starting out club. They're like, this. come here and suck for as long as you want, and then when you feel like you don't suck anymore, go someplace else. I live right by there. It's such a great club, uh, and the weekend shows are are usually packed, and it's really good. I love yeah. it there. When that room is full, it's a great, great room. It's it's really cool. I did my first show ever there. But yeah. when I started, it was not 
comedy now is like, yeah, if you're doing the open mic at the improv or the comedy store, you are, and it's always been like this at the Laugh Factory for some reason, but if you're doing the open mic there now, you are showcasing. Yeah. It's different levels of showcasing, but you better bring your best shit. When I first started, the open mics at the store and the improv were, especially at the improv, super low-key. You could just try new stuff. It, it was for people starting out and not really. I mean, there was some level of, like, maybe the booker will be there and maybe you can move up that way. And at the store, Adam, it was just Adam a free-for-all. in the back of the room during most Monday night open Right, but it wasn't and, like that then. There were two nights of potluck. Which is the open mic? Night. It used to be Sunday and Monday. Sunday right? and Monday. So, Tommy, the guy who was running it back then, wouldn't always necessarily be there to watch because he was taking care of Mitzi Shore, and you could get away with trying new stuff. You could bomb. Everybody was bombing. Uh, it was really tough because the open mic portion would be for every one person earnestly trying to do comedy. There was another person who was like a mentally ill version of, you know, like the naked cowboy in New York. Someone trying to be that. There is, yeah. There's even a guy who's dressing up in, in like chicken suits. Yeah, right Chris. Now. Oh, right now. Yeah. Because there was a guy named Crispy Chicken back then. Boon Shakalaka. Um, is that Barton Nemer? All these weird, crazy people that were literally crazy and would just go up and. Maybe the audience would laugh at first, or then by the end they would just be like horrified, or they would be horrified and it would just be so unaware, ridiculous, that they would be laughing by the end. But anyone trying to actually do material, good or not, just it wouldn't work. Well, you're so far removed now, you probably don't um, have to ever do this. You're so lucky. But uh, the the improv... Open mic is absolutely like a showcase. The what's her name, Rita? Rita yeah. She sits in the back the entire time, and they pick with three people. She used to do that. That they want to see more of. So there's now now there's like a Tuesday and then there's a Sunday. And if you get the if you win the best spot or the best two or three spots, you get to come back and do five minutes on uh, Sunday. And then if that goes well, you can get like one of those late nights. Is spots it in too. the lab? Yeah. That sucks because the lab is not a good room for stand up. It's a great comedy room for stuff other than stand up, but. Or if you're doing like a variety show, like I do that. Yeah, your show there is great. But that room used to be, it didn't have the bar and the stages where the bar is. And it was one of the best comedy rooms. Well, I know uh, some of the, the mains, the majors, like the Joe Rogans and the and the Delias of the world hate that room. And they're like, they try to get, get them, they was like, have tried to make a statement that that should just go away and just be the green room for the main room. For the the upstairs, room. the upstairs room should be the comedy room. It's really good. I've never been like the green room that's upstairs. Anyway, uh, it was cool when I first moved here because I was doing mics at, at the improv and, and the store and working at National Lampoon. I was like fully immersed. And my first job at the comedy store was not, I was a door guy there and I, I parked cars and did phones. But my first job there, because I interned for Polly Shore while I was working at National Lampoon. And after like six months of going from one job to the next and then trying to do open mics at night. I was just like, hey man, can you give me a job at the comedy store? He's like, we'll see, bro. And then he got me a job at the comedy store digitizing all the old footage. So I was basically like going from a full-time day job of doing comedy to studying it at night. 
in in right i mean he's still i follow him on instagram so there's still um an element of that but if you work for him it doesn't necessarily mean you work for the store for those of you that's know, very true uh, Polly shore is now the owner of the comedy store it was uh created by his mom mitzi shore and uh so he i mean he, it, it that that rings so true in fact that i was very much not accepted for a while at the comedy store because of that you you they thought of you as like a it was like you were playing favorites that that and I got in there much easier and faster than most people. And Tommy, the old comedy booker there, told people, "Well, he's he's Polly Spy. Watch out! Don't do anything in front of him." Oh, that's horrible. But does yeah. does it go the other way too? Like nowadays, like if you're just a regular door guy who who doesn't work for Polly, do you still also kind of work for him a little bit? Like if he comes in, does he like do this for me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, un, unspoken. You, I mean, you can obviously say no, but it's not in your best interest to. Yeah. Does he have that power? Does but Polly not Polly's looking to help people out. I mean, he does take liberties with what he can get people to do for him, but he's looking to help people out. Has he ever, in your knowledge, like totally just blackballed somebody and like, hey, you never you're never gonna perform at the comedy store because I didn't like that thing that you just did. I know he has, but I never like he has to people that deserve it. Yeah. But not Adam Devine told me a story that he performed there on his 21st birthday and he did well at Pollock. And then Polly and the manager, Dean at the time, called him into the bar and they're like, you're 21, let's do a shot. And they did a shot with him and they're like, now get the fuck out of here. Really? But uh, Yeah. And I, I've never seen uh, Adam perform at the comedy store. He used to work at the Improv. Yeah. When he was yeah, yeah. So it, was it because his, he was good or because he was I don't so know. Bad? I don't know what it was. I don't know. I don't think Polly remembers he ended up doing an episode of Workaholics and they're all buddy-buddy now. So, But I remember, because when I worked at National Lampoon, we brought in Adam's sketch group and I was I became friends with them. They were called Mail Order, Mail Order, Comedy. Order, Mail Order Comedy back then, but him, Blake, Anders, and Kyle. And uh, I, one, another old job of mine that I was doing at the time, selling weed. Also, it's a lot of people's first jobs. <laughs> well, it wasn't my first job. My first job technically was babysitting. Um, you, and no, no uh, W9s. For, no, um, for sure. For, or for weed. Or WCs. Um, but I feel bad for the kids coming up right now. I don't feel bad for them. But the, like the 14, 15 year olds that would be, would have been our generation selling weed like that as a first like side hustle thing. Cause weed's legal and most it's becoming le- it's legal here, but it's becoming legal. Well, and I think 14, 15 year olds can still do it because 14, 15 year olds can't go to the stores. And looking back, it was really creepy that adults would sell me weed and that much weed to, to go re- redistribute. Yes. And sell it. like kids still got to distribute amongst themselves. They can't go to the stores. So I think that that's still available, but comics starting out don't have that as an option. And that, after I lost my job at National Lampoon and didn't have like a steady stream of income. The reason why I did it is because I had my medical marijuana card and my friends kept asking me to go to the store for them. It was a pain in the ass. Why do I keep going back to the store every single day and yeah. it's not for me and I'm not making any money doing it. So I, I was just like, all right. Yeah, add a little uh, uh, convenience tax for you to, exactly. to do it. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're a drug dealer by default. Right. But you're not. Right. Like, I have my mom uh, really likes these uh, CBD oils, and there's one that has a little more THC in it that she got when she was out here. And she's got she's older and has some some pains, and that that's kind of proven to be 
uh, an effective it's method. It's a miracle drug. It kind of is. And so uh, she's anxiety, all that stuff, and it, it helps with it. And I will text my mom, Dick, do you need more of that oil or do you want me to send you some stuff? And I throw it, go to the UPS store, not even that, the, po the post office, throw mm -hmm. it in the bag because it's, um, because it's legal here and mail it to my mom. And do I consider myself a drug dealer? No, I'm just helping her out. It's a, I bought something that's legal in the state that I live in. It's not legal in the state that she lives in, but no, no one cares who's caring. You can fly with it, so why can't I mail it? I definitely used to ship weed across states I'm not and, and got in trouble once. This is not that, an arrestable right, but that's an, But that's, that's not the same thing. Um, I sold weed, I'm trying to just think of all, so just in order of the jobs I had from babysitting, I was a little league umpire. I worked at a rollerblade rink slash arcade slash putt-putt golf course, and that was an awesome job. I was the concession stand guy. Love um, I Then I started working as a busboy at one of my favorite pizza places and a waiter at another diner that I loved and a deli that I loved. I, I waited tables and bus tables for a while. And then I went away to college and started selling weed, but I told my parents that I won a lot of money playing online poker and, and writing papers for people. I did write papers for people in college. That was an easy money. That's the, the Breaking Bad uh, scapegoat. It was, I won all this money in poker, or I think Blackjack was his thing. But yeah. you got to have a reason to explain to your parents why you're, you're swimming in it. Right, why you're going to Europe for your spring break and you don't have and You didn't need job. to ask them for money. Right. That's so funny. Um, oh, God, what was the one that you just said? I wanted to ask more about it. It doesn't matter. Oh, which, uh, you went to college. What did you major in? That's I majored in communications and culture. Okay. And telecommunications, I double majored, which because a lot of the credits overlapped, and I minored in music and religious studies. Uh, specific, specifically one religion. Um, like I was more into the Far East stuff, but the reason why I did that is because uh, I went to college and I got into this. I went to college out of state, and I got into this dorm, the dorm that I wanted to be in, that I knew a couple other kids were going to be in. But then I signed up to do like an art program and it put me in this dorm that was like way on the other side of campus. And I didn't want to do that. And the only way to get back into the dorm that I wanted to be in was to, sh was to, the only way to get back into the dorm I wanted to be in was to sign up for the Jewish studies program. And so I had so many credits already, already yeah. for, because I had my first semester, I had to take pretty much all Jewish studies courses. So I just took the rest in like Buddhism and Taoism and Far East religions. And I, it was just by the end of the first year, I finished the requirements for a minor. Have you ever gotten a job because you have, have a degree? Because like, did it help you get anywhere in life is what I'm trying to, to say. I had no marketable skills out of college. I Maybe like editing video is the closest. But I, by the end of college, I was doing comedy in college. I took my last year of college, I was in a sketch group. I was in a class both semesters where we, the first, the midterm is you write and produce a pilot. You have to shoot a TV, shoot yeah, it shoot it, yeah, shoot it. Okay. And that's they have all the equipment. Yeah, that was, that, was in that was in the telecommunications program. So the telecommunications program had 
a wing to it that was TV production. Okay. And the communications and culture program was film production. So that's that was my, well, mine were both television and film production were the same ones in the bro, in the broadcast. They were in separate school window. So. Yeah. Um, so that's what my degree was in, was in television film production. But the over overarching um, umbrella was broadcast journalism was the title of the building. And then it, we had news, uh, radio, like this, or, mm-hmm. or sorry, just regular radio, talk radio at the time. And then like live TV, like if you were going to produce like a news show with a, a, a switcher. And I'm sure that they've combined the schools because there was so much overlap and I shouldn't be a double major because I, I took, I literally took like six classes that counted towards both majors. Yeah. That's the only reason I could do it. I'm not like a overachiever. Or I have two, I just gained the two minors for that same reason. I, I looked at the end and they're like, what's your minor? And they're like, well, you've already technically almost minored in sociology. Like those credits count towards a sociology minor. If you take one more class, you got a minor in sociology. Yeah. And I was like, I don't that's, know. That's why I did the religious studies one. And music, I, I same deal. Like my, Indiana has an incredible music school and I took classes like jazz music for the listener and History of the Beatles and in this class we're and history of rock and roll. Yeah, in that's all we did. That's so crazy. You learn just like what the different styles of jazz are through the years. Well, there's a lot of film. There was film studies classes where all you did was once a week you watched a movie and then yeah. you, then you mm-hmm. wrote some shit about the movie. Yeah, exactly. You watch the black and white versions of whatever got remade in the seventies, or you watch Fight Club and you have to uh, try to explain to see if there's any religious undertones in it and stuff. Right. <laughs> or um, Silence of the Lambs, very. Um, spiritual um, undertones when he's like he hangs that lady up and he's like that's that's representative of the body of right Christ. right like the community that was a lot of the communication classes like look at this advertisement and see what the overt and um, subliminal messages are right and you do that in film classes too and it just got exhausted and like hey man can I just like Fight Club for right like, right to find that to find what their their um, hidden messages are in the whole movie. I'm already trying to find that little hidden Tyler Durden's everywhere. I don't need to, to find what they're what they're trying to sell me as well. I don't know. But you know, in terms of recreating film, that's not an important step. If you want to be a filmmaker, you don't need that should be the last thing you're thinking about. Yeah. Tell a good story first. Don't sneak in bullshit. So tell Stanley Kruger that. I'd love to. If he was I'd love to talk to Stanley Kruger. Oh man. Me too. Uh, if he was still around. So uh after National Lampoons went under, you did the, was the vegan spot right after that? No, 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 no. So for a while, I just sold weed and went on the road with Polly Shore and booked a little bit of acting work. And then I was on unemployment for like a year and a half. And then when that went away, I got busted for selling weed very shortly after that. And my whole world came tumbling down. And then I was still going on the road with Polly and working at the comedy store. Was it anything, um, any huge marks on your permanent record for a, a, a crime that is no longer... <laughs> There's a charge, but it's been dismissed. Because of the time? Just a- I mean, I got a really good attorney, and it was basically knocked down to like what a DUI would be. But, it was, but then it was the kind of thing where it was like, if I completed my probation period, it would just be on my record as a charge and I need to get it expunged. Especially now that like all weed charges can be just expunged because it's yeah, legal. It's insane that people are in prison for having like a couple joints on them. I could have I could have been one of those people. Yeah. 
and then you would be sitting in there going like, wait, that's legal now? Why? Then let me out. Why am I in here? And I think they're, I don't know for sure, but it sounds like they're making steps towards um, rectifying yeah. that. They're reforming it, yeah. Yes. So this is where my work history gets pretty interesting. Can't really sell weed anymore, but still have some I need to get rid of. But I can't rely on that as my income anymore. And so I'm about to go on tour with Polly Shore to Canada. My lawyer, this is before everything gets resolved, tells me that I'm not allowed to go to Canada unless I get a special visa that costs $4,000. Because Canada doesn't let you in if you have any drug-related, alcohol-related, or violence-related charges against you. I did not know that. And so I'm freaking out because the flights and everything are already booked and the shows and all that. And obviously four grand is what you is way more than what you stand to make. Exactly. Uh, as a, as yes. Opening. And I desperately need whatever I stand to make and I can't afford to right. mitigate that in any way. So I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to go. And I had, um, as an acting job in 2008, played Ron Jeremy's son in the opening sketch of a porn. You've been posting pictures on that on Instagram. It's, it's yeah, a yeah. very funny... It's really funny. I was like, this will be a funny gag. Like, I'm not in the porn. It doesn't matter. It's not going to affect anything. And uh, I, I emailed my friend who, who hired me to do that. He owns a porn company, Porn Pros. And I was like, hey, man, do you have any jobs behind the camera? I can edit. I can shoot. I can do lighting. I can do sound, whatever. Those are the skills I got from working at National Lampoon and a little bit from college, but not really. And, um, you know, when you send an email, you expect somebody to get back to you maybe that day, maybe next week. He called me. He's like, dude, I do have a job for you. Um, we just started a gay porn network and we need people to shoot and direct. And I was like, cool. I, I love musical theater. <laughs> He's like, no, it's not Little Shop of Homos. Like, we really need you. Like, we want, he wanted me to go out and do, like, things where guys were exposing themselves in public. I'm like, D uh, maybe maybe once I get my legal situation cleared up, I'll take the risk of getting in trouble for indecent exposure. But for now, can we do stuff indoors? And so I shadowed some straight scenes and some gay scenes. And then I ended up shooting one as the director. It paid really well. So I was like, maybe I'll just do this. And... Um, then I went to Canada. I just took the risk. I flew that I got it snuck in. And they didn't say anything. I dressed up like I wore a button down shirt tucked into to khakis and got right in. I See, if you would have showed up t today with a button up shirt and khakis, I would be like, red flag. It's a red flag. Yeah. Because what's wrong? I looked like. But they didn't know that about you. I looked like an immigrant trying to get a job in his first day in the country. That's but, um, I ended up doing the tour in Canada, and while I, when I came back, there was a performer who did both gay and straight porn that got HIV, and so the whole industry was shut down for a while, so that was not an option for me, and then I went back on the road to Canada, and they did stop me at the border, and I told them that they were pending charges that were, that like, the, the charges were going to be dropped, but they were just pending in the system. And they let me in. Every time I go to Canada like now, they, they bring it up and they, they're like, you know, we could send you back to America, eh? But I'm a nice guy, so I'll let you in. I like how they let you tell them that your criminal charges were just pending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, if you get pulled over for, like, your, if your um, reg registration expires, 
uh, and the cop's like, well, you have your old tags on there. And you're like, yeah, I can see that the check is pinned. It's in my bank account. They've cashed it, but I, they haven't mailed me the sticker well, yet. Well, I think the computer system is more sophisticated and updated here for what they're trying to find on you. And this is Canada looking at America's system. Okay. So there, there is a... Um, there's probably some some gray areas in there for you, and but it's. I just feel like you them letting you explain to them what the. I know is, that is really it's, funny. It's now that I think about it, yeah. One time it was a guy who had the most beautiful, piercing blue eyes, like deep and like like the same color as the ocean when you're in a tropical place where it's like clear blue, but he was cockeyed, and he was like. So you have some marijuana charges. I was like, yeah, they're they're dropped. And he's like, you know, I don't have to let you through. And I was just like staring into one eye. And then I looked at the other eye and started laughing. I was like, no, 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 continue. You thought that was the end of it? You looked into his wrong eye? Yeah. And I didn't think he was going to let me through after that, but he did. And um, so when I, I couldn't do any of the gay porn after that, because I would check in and be like, we're trying to get all the people that have more seniority over you like back on track after the long break from work. And then I would check back in month after month after month. Cause even if I was on the road still and able to go in and out of Canada as I please, I still wanted that work. It was $300 to work three hours for the gay porn thing. Yeah. Um, so how many in total, how many gay porn films did you, you only directed one? One and a half. Cause I helped out on another one and I shadowed on another one. And but you, I only I mean, did one. For people who don't know, I mean, director is the, the top job to get on a, on a set. And you went straight from never having worked in porn at all. Well, in a porn director, all you're really doing is making people sign documents. Have sex and keep having sex? They know what they're doing. <laughs> There's another employee from the porn company there that's, like, overseeing it. And you're just pointing a camera and taking still photography and you DP'd as well like you I mean when you when I say director I mean director DP cameraman um gaffer and, and sorry and in, in this situation for it's DP. not a very sophisticated shoot you have more camera and audio equipment here for this podcast than I had shooting a scene of gay porn well uh, and this is a funny conversation because DP could mean two things. And I, in could, gay porn, yes. In gay porn, only this conversation. So it could mean double penetration, which that's not what I meant, or uh, director of photography, which is what you were. Or donkey punch. Donkey punch. But I don't think anyone's like, yeah, I had DP her last night. You donkey puncher? No, I, it was director of photography. I directed So that's pretty great. And you got to, that was such a thing that you had to have a a reference for because you got to imagine there's not a lot of um, job postings for gay porn director on on Indeed or Monster.com. No, but I mean, I had plenty of experience in not gay porn video productions. So it's not like I was just coming in. Yeah, the skills are transferred. Cold. It's just, were they, yeah, you can go ahead and crack that. Um, The mics aren't even that good. They probably (laughs) won't. No, they did. Um, uh, so, yeah. Anyway, I was told just, I needed to have Viagra on hand. Really? Just in case, because they but they're and that, that could really hold up a shoot day. If, if I thought there were, uh, are they called fluffers still? There's girls that keep. keep it wasn't that sophisticated. Well, that's not even a high tech piece of technology. It's a, a girl who needs a, a job more. Yeah, it's more literally it's literally not. just a prostitute person. Yeah. But okay, so I went from 
drugging gay porn as my side, selling weed, drugging gay porn, immediately into being a manny for a two-year-old boy. Uh, the one I met. No, 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 different, different, kid. different kid. Different kid. That's this was kid. a kid that lived around the corner from me. His dad's a comedy writer. I've always loved kids and am very good with kids. They take to me right away, and I like my friend Esther Pavitsky, who you know has now gone on to very comedy stardom. She was nannying for this kid and recommended me because I lived literally a two-minute walk from them in Los Feliz, and I hung out the kid and we hit it off, and so they had me come and um, watch the kid like two or three days a week just for a few hours so the mom could get some shit done. And uh, it was really great. I loved it. It was it was a really dark time in my life, so it was um, brought me a lot of like wholesome fun, and I got some money for it, so it was, it was really nice. And um, just the juxtaposition, though, of selling weed, drug and gay porn, and then, you know, hanging out with a two-and-a-half-year-old boy it was just a really funny, Did you direct the porn experience. under a, um, a pseudonym? Michael Gay. A lot of big explosions. Mike, in, in, instead of Michael Bay. Um, very funny. Uh, I think it was, that was a thing that I learned in watching the show Entourage that every porn <laughs> director had directed under a, a pseudonym. I mean, really? Do people, I mean, since like the 70s and 80s, does anyone look at the credits of who directed the fucking porno? Like, I, I don't no so. one really knows. No one really cares. It wasn't ever really an issue that I was ever going to be credited. Or, But my friend did say after months of me checking in to see if I could get work, he's like, look, you're either going to do this and commit to it, or I'm not going to let you do this and ruin your comedy career and you're going to keep doing that. Well, now I think that probably uh, enhances your comedy career to get this. I do too. I don't think it matters anymore because there's plenty of people in porn that do comedy, and there's it's a lot easier to cross over from porn to mainstream stuff. Well, and also even just the the, the difference between and that was like what two thousand eight, two thousand nine, that the difference between uh, the acceptance uh, of the homosexuality uh, situation is way more right. like right now. It's no one cares, but back then they'd be like, "Oh, you directed porn?" You know, like, yeah, and it was a gay porn. It was a gay porn that might have gotten you, I don't know, just people are stupid. And they back then, it, it was just different than it was now. It's weird because a lot more celebrity sex tapes used to come out. And it never did anything but help them. Right, it never did anything but help their career. Now, not so many celebrity sex tapes come out. But the most, porn is just much more acceptable. The mo- that too. It's and the, but the most famous woman on planet Earth right now is famous because of a porno movie. Right. And her breakout role was a porn, a homemade porn. Yes. The 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 homemade element to it also is um, that is just like a that's a director um, notes or like the, the look and feel you're going for. But they it wasn't like it was leaked. They signed consent forms for right. that to go out. Right. A lot of people don't know that, so they feel like they're watching something that they shouldn't be watching. And maybe that is a, uh, a draw for. But What's the last celebrity sex tape to come out? It's been a long time. I mean, there's we, Hulk Hogan, and that was like a I, big deal, and that's probably why they don't come out so much anymore. The fappening, where they were, all those the, the leaked photos, the leaked photos. Came out, but the, none of those were um, like like accidental sex tapes. Like like the Paris Hilton one was probably um, second to Kim Kardashian as like the most famous one of all time. And if you watch, uh, there's a documentary. The Pamela Anderson. Oh, sorry, Tommy Lee one was. There's a legendary documentary on Netflix 
called like, uh, God, I don't even know. I'm not going to try to butcher it. Maybe meme gods or something like that. And it talks about how, um, how Paris Hilton talks about how that ruined her life versus like if that happened now, it would like catapult somebody to superstardom. But she was already kind of famous for nothing. Did it ruin her life? I feel like that was like part of her. She was in legend. Well, there are people who are um, voluntarily putting naked pictures of themselves out. And she said she didn't leave her apartment for like three to six months because she was like, I feel like everybody is seeing me naked and it's like embarrassing. And I just, that wasn't intended for anyone else to see. That one, she didn't, the, the, her consent didn't come until much, much later in the process. Um, and I wish I didn't know as much about this as I do, but I just <laughs> watched this thing and it was, it was interesting because uh, the only, only positive stuff comes from uh, a sex tape. Like, I've never seen anyone have their career ruined by it. Except for the people that put out Hulk Hogan's. Well, in his career... And him. His career was kind of already whatever. I don't know. But if he wasn't saying the N-word in it, it probably wouldn't have been as big of a deal. Did he say the N-word? Yeah. I know Shaw was bit about it, but he was like watching his childhood hero uh, have sex, and it was that's crazy. But I don't remember. I thought the N-word thing was something separate. He was saying, he was like saying, like in the dirty talk, the N-word. I don't know exactly. I, I didn't watch it, but I just... No, that's part of it. I know he said he had a lot of sushi and he felt too fat to fuck. I remember that being like a part of it. I've never felt fat from sushi. Really? Twenty minutes later, you're like, doing it wrong. I think I would. I can fat the fuck out on some sushi. I'll eat it until I I, I smell the raw fish coming out of my pores. I want sushi right now so bad. Um, So then that led to a string of jobs of like just stupid, like. Freelance assistant work, working in the vegan kitchen. Um, when did you do this? Uh, then the I store? booked a couple movies, and that was cool. Um, when did I start doing what? Working well, at the you store? In, at, like in 2007 when I was working at National Icon. How long did you do that for? I worked there as an employee until 2010, and then I got passed in 2011. So I've been a paid regular there since 2011. That's amazing. And, and um, for the people who don't know, the, I mean, the, the comedy store is without question probably the biggest comedy club ever. And uh, a lot of a lot of famous people have gotten their starts by working at a, as a door guy there. Mm-hmm. People like Jim Carrey, Mark Maron was there for a bit. Sam Kinison, um, oh yeah, Sandy Danto. Sandy Danto, you got it. Uh, you got it. Um, was Brody a door guy ever? He was a no. He was never a door guy. He was a crowd warm up guy, and I've actually had two. Uh, I've, I've had one on already, and I'm having a, another one in, in TBD. Um, crowd warm up gigs. Have you? I've been. I've done it once. I'm desperately trying to get more work doing that. That is. For I'm good at it. I've. Wa- I went to go see Brody. Do it a bunch. It's a great job for a comedian because it's a day job. It's like during a television or uh, show that tapes during the day. You get a salary to essentially do stand-up comedy in front of a huge crowd every day, and that's your job. Who um, do you know that does it? Um, do you know Darren Capozzi? He actually lives right below me. Mm-hmm. He does it for the voice of another friend. Um, I don't know if he'll want me to say it on the podcast yet, but he does it for the voice. You'll tell me after. You'll tell I'll me tell after. you after. I'll even text you. With, cool. I'll, t- I'll text and introduce you to it. But I think cool. it is kind of um, a little bit networky where like, if, if you can't, make it if you're sick or something you just got to call another comic buddy of yours and be yeah. like hey sandy's doing it today because i cool 
uh, laryngitis. Or I've seen Don Barris do it a bunch of Jimmy Kimmel, and he's amazing. He is it. one of the best. And he, I love that he still goes to the store every night and does the, the 1 a.m. slot in the OR just to keep that sharp because that's actually his job is to be it's crowd work you got in and like to, for him to do like the ten forty five slot uh when the room is full and do 15 minutes of like tight material i've seen him do it i've, I, I've never no seen one else him. was around and he had to i've never seen that happen i don't i don't know what he would look like if he was doing material, but he's so funny uh he can kill for any audience he's really great. a couple of years ago my uh when i was getting married my parents were out here they were in town for the wedding and i had like seven or eight days to burn with them and so i took them to see a taping of jimmy kimball because right up the street mm -hmm. and he was making my parents laugh and he was i mean he's he's just a killer it's so it was so good to, to see him do that show um again i the last time i saw a live taping of a show was like 2007 2006 before i lived here and he was still he was the crowd warmer guy then i think he's been yeah the whole time. since the whole time yeah for sure he has. Um, I've worked on Jimmy Kimmel show a few times. Is that the one that you sketches? Oh, okay. Did you do? You said you have done crowd warm up before. What was that for? Paulie specials. Okay. Uh, he oh, like live tapings of like of his like Showtime specials. Okay. Well, that's just like. Aren't you just being like his opener? Is that the, that's not the there's a thing? difference? There's a difference. It, it wasn't like. I was going out there doing, I, I did some of my material, but a lot of it is like, you're like, I need to see what you guys will look like when, when you're going crazy for a joke. All right. Now, even if it's not that funny, show me what that looks like. Or like, let me hear this side of the room clap. Let me hear this. You know, you have to like do warm up exercises to get them engaged so that they're warmed up and then you start telling them jokes. So it, so you can see what the temperature of the room is, and okay. then you got to keep doing the stuff where it's like, I need to, you know, you it's, it's a say, lot yeah. of energy work. And, we gotta and test just, the mics, we gotta test the levels, yeah. uh, you know, and, and that's crowd work. It's more crowd worky. It's more like, hey, I'm not out here to get laughs. I'm out here to show to like show you the rules. instruct you on how you need to be because this is for television, right? Um, does that happen? Have you been to anybody's uh, Netflix special tapings or anything like that? Or, or um, I don't know. Uh, I went to Esther Povitsky's um, Comedy Central special okay. tape. Because I didn't know if they had if they have to do all that as well. If there's like a stage manager that does it, like uh, literally like a, a, that venue's crowd warmer guy, or if they just have their opener, like if they're touring, it's their opener. It's always different. I, I've heard uh, a lot of a lot of. People, you you go on the road with some pretty big names, uh, Adam Ray, Holly, and, 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 and Josh and Wolf, Bobby Lee, others. And do they? I've heard that they don't like the openers to do crowd work. Is that true? Still, well, for a lot of people, none of those guys. You know, I don't do. I, I think it's not cool to do a lot of crowd work. Well, the, the, as an opener, but I still do some. You know, I think you have to get the audience engaged. If if they aren't, yeah. yeah. Well, I think the reasoning behind it sound I mean, it sounds right is that uh, if you, if they think that they can talk to you, when the, the when yes. when Adam yeah, gets yeah. out there, they're gonna think they can talk to him right. too, and he doesn't want that. He's like, I got hours worth of stuff to do. I don't. The thing do. is, all those guys I go with are so good at crowd work and don't. I think mind that. Sort uh, of Adam is one of my favorite crowd work guys right now. He's amazing at it. Uh, someone sent me a video the other day of him doing, or it was a couple months ago, but he, the bottomless breadstick bit, did you see that? Yeah. Oh my God, that was the funniest video. And like, he, he couldn't have asked for a better, 
thing to happen in the crowd alongside that bit and, and that he handled it so beautifully i'll just put i'll show that video right mm-hmm. um i won't sometimes i do that if we're talking about something that doesn't make sense like maybe i'll put that ron jeremy picture like right here um in the in the video yeah you should opening it's so picture. cool that you have that option yeah you know you do too you want to you can edit edit video and say you got the gay, the gay yeah, i'm so not good at it because all the software has progressed beyond my skill set. I, I I edit stuff on my phone and iMovie, but when it comes to like Premiere That's or Final Cut or um, what's the one that I learned in college? Avid. Avid, yeah. I'm like, that's like so far beyond my scope. Av- I learned Avid in college and now there's like, if you go to college, you get like Avid certified, but like it's a really expensive program. And for Adobe Premiere is a very affordable it does all the same shit and in my opinion easier and if you already know photoshop and anything in the creative suite they work very seamlessly together this is not an ad for adobe products but i use them because i think that i just think that they're better um then then i can do it on a macbook pro at starbucks and and make a really good looking video uh and then you got some guy that has a whole bay he's sitting in like a three hundred thousand dollar like avid and he's putting out more or less the same stuff for what people are absorbing right now on their phones yeah. and, and, and laptops. How I'm just putting out the most rudimentary stuff. On your phone? Well, I've, I've never edited specifically on my phone um, other than like making something long, shorter, but I've never been able to do clips. You, is I, a, yeah, I do it on iMovie on my phone. Hmm. Like my treadmill videos, I'm starting to make like I was gonna say two different good. angles and like trying to make it more sophisticated looking. Or I'll do it with some stand-up clips. I think uh, I'm going to predict the future here. For those of you who don't follow um, Sandy on Instagram, follow him for this. He does these really funny um, treadmill videos where he's like kind of dancing around on a treadmill. And I am predicting the future that that, something, that those videos will get you on Ellen. Maybe. We'll see. You know, I got into a verbal altercation with a guy at a gym in Phoenix two days ago because he was filming me and like laughing. And I made eye contact with him a couple times and like gave him a thumbs up. And then later on I was like, I should go get that footage. Maybe I can use it. And then he was talking to the gym manager. It's like, Hey man, could I get that fo- Can you send me that footage? He's like, no. Was it on the, their camera? His, his phone. Oh. I was like, why not? I was like, I was like, uh, funny. I was like, can, can we use text to me? He's like, no. I was like, why? He's like, what you're doing is really dangerous. I was like, are you being serious right now? And he, he was like, that was really risky. You shouldn't do that. And he was like tattling on me. This guy's in his sixties. He's tattling on me. I was like, you don't care about my well-being." He's like, yeah, you could have hurt somebody else. I was in a row of treadmills that was completely empty. And he, in, I was like, all right, then delete the video. He's like, no. I was like, then send it to me and you can keep it and tell on me. He's like, no. And I, I basically chased him across the gym screaming and I'm like, delete the video. You can't tape people without the permission. He's like, people get tape, people tape other people all the time. I was like, yeah, you got caught. Now delete it. So what was the original altercation? That, 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 that's what it was. Oh, he was filming you doing one of your little treadmill things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, was this at a gym out here or when you're on In the Phoenix. And, and you just, so you kind of fight with him because he was filming you. And that makes sense. If, honestly, if I saw someone doing what you do on the treadmill at the gym, when I was there, I would try to sneak a video too. Yeah. 
Maybe, but like I know you're doing a bit, and it should be pretty obvious. Usually, you have a, a guy filming you, so it looks it's on purpose that you're doing what you're doing, and that's not how that's not the way you work out. I mean, I was jumping from one treadmill to another treadmill. It looked like a goddamn okay, vi- okay, go video. Yeah, yeah. And so the so you see the guy filming you, and you just go ask him for the thing, and he says no, and he's being a dick about it. Jesus. Um, and that was the end. But of I got story. no. I, got, I was like, he's like. Fine, I'll delete it. I was like, you'll delete it. Yeah, you will. Before I take your phone and delete it for you. And then you'll delete it from the recently deleted videos folder. And he did and he did that right in front of me. I was like Yeah, most people don't I was like, why do you have to be such a jerk about it? He's like, I'm not. I was like, explain to me how you're not being a jerk. You won't send it to me and you're refusing to delete it. And you're being mean. He's like, I'm not. He's like, All right, well you have a nice time tattling on me. I'll see you later. But you aren't doing anything wrong. Like, right. I mean, I guess some people, somebody might walk up and be like, hey man, could you just, it's kind of frowned But also me. like, don't make it a safety issue because if you were concerned with my safety and I said this to him, when we made eye contact, you would have been like, hey, don't do that. Oh, he was concerned for your safety. He was trying to say that that's what, that it was a, a risk. The safety of who else? The row of treadmills is, is empty. Yeah, it really pissed me off. But anyways, Got I think I fired up I and then I had a heckler that night and I shut her down. Was that at the... Oh, that was a Phoenix Temple Stadium, too. Yeah. Because um, you have a really funny, on your Instagram as well, uh, the heckler story where that guy tried to like, climb the rows to get up on yeah, the Yeah, oh, where the two gang members almost killed me. I mean, we don't know what gang they were in, but, you know, no, it, was, it was probably a biker gang in... In, in, uh, in the no, Yeah, in Modesto. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's been been great. Thanks for, for joining. Tell the, the people at home... Uh, where they can find you, what shows you got coming up, um, podcast, all of it. All social at Sandy Danto, S-A-N-D-Y-D-A-N-T-O. You can check out my podcast, MFers, a parenting podcast. It's wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, um, iTunes, wherever. If iTunes still exists, who knows? Um, follow my Instagram for the podcast, MFers Podcast, or my monthly show at the Hollywood Improv Lab, Watch Me Chill. Uh, it's really crazy. Last month we had a guy get shot in the stomach with a cactus out of a t-shirt cannon, cannon at Point Blank Range. So if you want to see some crazy ass shit, come to Watch Me Chill. That was very insane. I saw the Instagram video of it and I immediately texted you. I was like, fuck, I should have been there. I'm never missing another show. So if, I, if I've committed to never missing one of those, uh, you should definitely uh, go. If you're in the LA area, come check out one for sure. Now I gotta figure out how to top that. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for being here. Always a pleasure.